0: Today we are reading from Romans chapter thirteen, verses eight through fourteen. Romans thirteen, eight through fourteen. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying. Namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, and that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in praise that we are able to gather here together and worship you and learn from your word and encourage each other in good works. I pray for Pastor Self and the Anchor Church this morning that you would be with him and his congregation giving wisdom and I pray that you would uh, be working there at that church. I pray for our government leaders that you would uh, give them wisdom and help them to make um, good decisions that benefit our country and not for personal gain but but for our well-being. I just pray that you would be with them um, today. Um, I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Josiah.
1: Josiah is another one of our graduates this year. Hard to believe, right, Jason? Graduating here, and uh, God bless you here as you set out for the task that he's been preparing you for. So Romans, we're in chapter 13 and coming to the end of that. That's that's quite a journey. We started this in October of last year, and uh, we had about four or five weeks in December where we had some focuses on... um, on, the, on Christmas here, and the Lord's genealogy here, and people in his in his line, specifically the women in Jesus' genealogy here. But we're in chapter 13, and so I know it's been a long time since we've been in chapter 1 here, but Paul introduces why he's writing to the Romans in chapter 1, and he says, I want to impart to you some spiritual gifts, and I want to affirm the mutual faith that we have, and I'm ready to preach the gospel, the good news to you that are at Rome. And uh, then he launches into verse 16 and talks about the gospel, how it's the saving power of God. And it's the good news in 1, 1 through 7 of the saving king. The saving king of God's promised plan uh, to bring the nations uh, to to the Father. And then uh, in chapter 1, verse 17, he says that this good news is about the righteousness that comes from God. The righteousness is access through faith. And the just shall live by faith. And then chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, just a review and maybe some some feedback here. Uh, What does he then launch into? Because he says in chapter 1, verse 17, right after that, verse 18, he says, And the gospel not only delivers uh, righteousness by the just living by faith, but it also condemns. And so in 118 through 32, what does he cover there? Probably a pretty familiar passage there, that downward spiral here. What are people doing in 118 through 32? They're
0: not
1: acknowledging God. Okay, they're not acknowledging God as God, and they are exchanging what? Truth of God
0: for a lie. Truth of God for a lie. So
1: they're they're taking taking, uh, God's. Truth that displays him and reveals him and they're substituting it with idolatry. And then in chapter 2, what does Paul launch into? This might be a little bit lesser known chapter here, chapter 2. What does he talk about? Who's he speaking to? His audience there. What's his theme? His point? Yeah, the Jews who might say, well, yeah, you're talking about the Gentiles on eighteen through 32. Worshipping, creeping things, goodness, that's ridiculous. And what does he say in chapter 2? You are also without excuse. You judge and you do the same. And don't you remember, that's the kindness of the Lord that brings repentance. And so he talks about the self-righteous attitude of the heart. Not only the one who goes off the rails here, like we would say, and does all the sins that, how how dare you. What about the self-righteousness and pride of the heart? In chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, verses 1-9, through nine, what does he bring together? For what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what does he set forth as the answer to that? The one who bridges this tension between God's wrath and life of God. What does he declare? Oh, come on, guys. Chapter 3, you've got to know chapter 3. Jesus, the one who satisfies the demands of the broken law, right? He fulfills that course. The righteous one, Jesus Christ, the just, the justifier. And he's the one who has paid for our sins and been and raised again for our justification. But how is that accessed? Chapter 4. By faith. Exhibit A who? Abraham. Exhibit B, a little smaller chunk who else in the Old Testament? Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Who is he referencing? David. David. He refers to David as examples here of people who live by faith. Chapter 4. So this is access by faith. And then, Chapter 5, he brings in the two men, two representatives. The first one, who? Bad. Adam. Adam. Adam, thank you. Adam failed, disobeyed, the second one Christ, the second Adam fulfilled, obeyed perfectly in our place here and then chapter 6 chapter 6 is now how the light that's been uh, uh, that is dwelt by the new Adam, the second Adam here how that works out now in day to day life here and what's the theme in chapter 6 dead to what And alive to God. Alive to God in righteousness here. So put off the works of darkness. Put on by the Spirit and faith here. The living Christ. Who's living in you. Live it out here. Chapter 7. The monkey wrench of the Christian life. Right? This is life without the what?
0: Yeah, but life without
1: Who? Life without active participation in the Spirit, right? In chapter 7, what it looks like. But it reminds us, what is Christ's Son? He's fulfilled the law, right? He's put the Spirit in you. This is where your power comes from. And so then in chapter 8, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. And then chapter 8 is about life in the Spirit in chapter 8, 1 through 18. And then what do we have? That glorious ending of chapter 8. Nothing what? Nothing can separate us. All right? Then chapter 9, what is his point in chapter 9? That's the hard one, right? We worked through that one in chapter 9 all together. and broke it up, I think, in the two chunks here. Why does is Israel have a hard heart toward the Lord? To them that were entrusted, these, these covenants, these promises, what's going on here? And he shows that it's not because God is failed. because of the hardness of their hearts. And then chapter 10, what's the message that brings life? And how's that message going to bring life? It's going to come by people sharing that message. And he anchors that in the Old Testament and proves that. And then chapter 11, is there a future for Israel? And Gentiles who are getting smug about Israel's rejection here. Remember, God can do the same thing that he did to the natural branches. And he humbles and brings it to the... All down to that, to that level here. It reminds us to look to the Lord. And then we got to chapter 12. And can anybody quote chapter 12, 1 and 2? Is that a verse that you've memorized in your life? I beseech you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Holy and perfect will of God. So being living sacrifices and on the basis of these truths here. And so we work through chapter 12 here and how it brings a right estimation of ourself in light of Christ here, of humility and grace, and then uh, serving the body, and then uh, loving the body, and how that relates and then uh, two weeks ago loving even our enemies those who are very difficult and oppose even God's word and his truth and then last week in Romans 13 probably a relationship that we're uh, least close to our government the government and a proper perspective of our government now in chapter 13 he's going to bring it together here and we're coming actually to the climax of the book everything that he's done has been building to this point And if you want to understand Romans, understand Romans 12 through 16, because he's laid the foundation for 12 through 16 to happen. And uh, he is writing to uh, house churches, perhaps five of them when you read chapter 16, these clusters of house churches that are having some relationship issues within. There seem to be a mixture of Jew and Gentile, and there's some uh, 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 people who are holding closer to some of the older traditions of the of the of the law and bringing that in, and there are uh, Gentiles who are, have been saved, and that's not anything they're familiar with, and not anything ultimately that really matters. But what does matter is that Paul doesn't really uh, um, um, say you're right and you're wrong to either side. He says you're both wrong here. Here's what needs to happen: there needs to be a, a setting aside of self and serving one another in love. In chapter 14 through 15. And he says, the reason for this is so that you will show forth the unity that's that's been prophesied in Psalm 117 and Isaiah about Jew and Gentile together, proclaiming with one voice the glory of the Lord. We'll see this in chapter 15, um, and seven through thirteen. For the purpose of uniting in a single mission, and the mission is to make disciples of the nations. And so chapter 15 verse uh, 14 uh, to the end of the chapter is a plea for them to come join him and partner with him. Even if that means individual people coming with him. Key men and women who would join him on this mission that he has. That he says I'm launching out for Spain. But the point of it was that they would have a partnership. Strategic partnership for the expansion of the gospel and planting churches beyond. And so that's why Romans is written. And these letters are not just to give us some abstract theology, some doctrine. Yes, they give us doctrine, but they give us doctrine for a purpose and a point. There's an occasion, there's a setting, there's a reason this has been given. And so that leads us to chapter 13, verses 8 through 14 that Josiah just read. Oh, no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. I think from these verses here, without us receiving this scripture in faith and acting on it, we can miss the point of our salvation. We can be selfish and sluggish. We can veer off into the scum pond of our desires. Instead of the shining brilliance of Jesus that shines out of us, so I think of these passages here. And Jared, I'm going to ask you if you can get. Yeah, you're already on it. So if Jared's missing the slides here, um, you know he's not paying attention here. So (laughs) no pressure, Jared. He's a good listener and he's he's got us here covered here. First, we need to get the point. Get the point. What he says in verse eight. This this stuff does not take rocket science to understand. Oh no man anything. He just talked about paying taxes and your tributes and the honor and respect that's due to the government here. And so he picks up on that and says, Oh no man anything but to love one another for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. There is a story of a customs officer who saw a truck pulling up to the border. And suspicious, he ordered the driver out and he searched the vehicle and he pulls off the panels, and he pulls off the bumpers, and he pulls off the wheel cases. Okay, so he can't find a single scrap of contraband. He's still suspicious, but he's at a loss to know where else to search. And so he waves the driver through. The next week, the same driver comes through. And again, the official searches everywhere and underneath, and he finds nothing to listen. Next week. Every week, for years, the same driver would come through. And the official tries full body searches, x-rays, sonar, anything you can think of. And each week, the same guy drives up, but there's never any mysterious cargo that appears. And even though the customs official is very suspicious something's going on, he reluctantly waves the driver on. And finally, after many years, this guy's about to retire. He's about to get his pension, and the driver pulls up. And the customs officer says, I know that you're a smuggler. Don't bother denying it. But I cannot figure out what you've been smuggling all these years. I'm leaving now. I swear to you, I'm not going to do any harm. Will you tell me what you've been smuggling? Trucks. You missed the obvious. Whether it's the priority of love in this scripture here, or the other priorities the scripture places here, it's easy to miss the big obvious point. That verse, verse eight. Oh no, man! Anything. It's not about not having a credit card or not having a mortgage or taking out loans, but it's saying pay back your debts. Don't let them be outstanding, and sharpen your focus. To what really matters and will last, loving one another. What does he mean to love? The idea of love is very different from our culture's idea of love. It's the idea of setting yourself aside to seek someone else's good, setting yourself aside to seek someone else's good. And so Paul here is saying, get the point, get the point, and think about what he's brought them to. Right, Romans one through eleven and chapter twelve. The, the, the gospel, God's promise plan for Abraham, and and now being a living sacrifice, and he says, this is what it's about. This is the life in Christ. This is the abundant life. Get the point. What point? Well, go with me to what Jesus has already said. Jesus has already declared in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Some people say you could call this the Jesus Creed. And in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28, one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O oh Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, that is assessed that your command center, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, well, master, you have said the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but quoting from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, Jesus did. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burned offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered him discreetly, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Paul brings up this point again in Galatians chapter 5. Where after preaching one of his most scathing letters here to the Galatians who are exchanging the grace of God for their own self-efforts. In Galatians 5, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And he talks about how their own self-efforts here through the law would destroy them. And then he says in verse 12, because their their own self efforts actually just your own self-efforts just actually create pride and self-righteousness and make you look down on others because you're trying to make yourself look good instead of receiving God's gift of righteousness. And so they're biting one another, devouring one another. Of course, not literally, but maybe. I don't know. And in verse um, fourteen he says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consume one another. This I say to them, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the Spirit lusts against, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. They're opposed to each other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. He talks about the works of the flesh, and then verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is, begins, of course, with love. He talks about a faith that comes from Christ that works itself out in love. Now what's the point? That's the point that Paul's bringing in Romans chapter 13 verse 8 through 13. Honor those, set yourself aside to seek others good, particularly those who are in proximity to you. The Bible doesn't tell us to love the world in the sense that you have this vague, ambiguous love. He tells us to love your neighbor, those in proximity to you. And the answer to who my neighbor is, Jesus gave in Luke chapter 10. Those in proximity who had a need. Get the point. The lives around us. Those who are uh, especially the household of faith, Paul says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and then others. And then he lists the commandments here. Um. In Romans chapter 13, he says, For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there be any other commandment. And he talks about the commandments that are related specifically toward loving one another. Last week during your Sunday school hour, which I think is, a, is just a key time here, I almost would rather have you be in discussion about this passage with other believers. If you had to pick between one or the other here, then sit here and listen to me. Because you need to be sharpened by the body here. And so make, make, it, make it a point to discuss these scriptures here in the Sunday school hour here um, uh, uh, with, if you're, if you're uh, uh, available to do that here. But he says this. You shall not, you shall not, you shall not. We all remember the Ten Commandments here. But one of your exercises last week, kind of jumping ahead a little bit to give you a, a taste, was to restate those commandments that he lists here positively you shall so I'm just curious what maybe what are some things that might have come up here for those for, for this you shall not commit adultery what's a positive way to say that what's he saying you shall do be faithful be faithful and covenant marriage right that's one way to say it. any others He's saying you shall not commit adultery. What's the positive way of saying that?
0: You shall have pure relationships.
1: Yeah, pure relationships, The purity of relationship. It's a good, good, good way to put it. What about the other one here? Uh, you shall not kill. What's a positive way to say that?
0: You shall preserve life.
1: You shall preserve life. Have a commitment here to, to flourishing life and others good. Yeah. What about uh, the next one there? You shall not steal.
0: Stephen 5 says, labor so you can give.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking of Ephesians 4. He says, don't steal but rather labor with your hands that you may have the ability to give to those that have need. Right? Um, What about you shall not bear false witness for tongues or lying slandering others? What's the positive that God desires to say? What's
0: that?
1: Be quiet. <laughs> be quiet. Yeah, yeah. If you can't say anything at all, be quiet, right? We all learned that from uh, from Humper and uh, Bambi, right? Truth. What's that? True. Okay. Speaking the truth, and how does the Bible tell us to speak the truth? And love. Speak the truth and love. All right. Truthing and love is, is literally what the what the translation would 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 say there. Truthing and love. Okay. What about the other one here? Um, uh, you shall not covet. What's the pauses the Bible talks about? Be content. Whatever state I am. Right? Paul says. That's the law of Christ. That's the law of Christ. That's the christ life. Right? We think of Moses' law. That thou shalt. Right? Thou shalt not. The condemnation that comes with this. And through the, through the gospel and the spirit. Jesus says. Here's my life. Here's my life. Honor the covenant of marriage. Cultivate life. Labor to give. Speak the truth in love. Be content in Christ. And he says this then in, 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 uh, in, in verse 9. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying. And so he takes all these and he summarizes it into a positive. And what is the positive? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he takes these thou shalt's, and he kind of flips it here and says, let me sum it up this way. Love your neighbor as yourself, positively. And then he says, let me, Paul says, let me take the negative of that and sum it up. And he says, love does no harm, no evil, no ill will to a person. Now, that's the point. And we can all sit here and nod our head and say, yes, that's what it's saying, right? But that's not good enough. Because there's something Paul wants us to understand about this command. And so look in verse 11. and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, it's almost gone. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Now, armor of light. Look in verse 11 and that. It's the idea, and do this. In connection to verses 8 and 9 and 10, now 11 and 12. And the second is this. grasp the urgency. Grasp the urgency. Here's what he's saying. Jesus has come. D-Day happened. The enemy has been dealt the death blow. You have been declared righteous in Christ through his death and resurrection and ascension. You are saved. You are being saved. That's what later on 13 and 14 is about, your sanctification. And you will be saved. Your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. Now, we usually tend to think of our salvation only in the past. I've been justified. I've been saved. And that's part of it, right? Now, Paul wants us to set our eyes on the future orientation of salvation. That your salvation, what does he mean by that? That's your glorification. That's what happens when Paul or John talks about, when we see Christ, we shall be like Him. And all is fullness. Your glorification. And he's saying, that's coming soon. The fullness of what you are in Christ. Now, there's a present status, right? God sees you as being full in Christ. Paul says in Colossians, you are complete in Christ, right? But there's our our, our future experience of that as well. Our future experience. And so he says, the D-Day, D-Day has happened here. You, you will be saved. Jesus is coming. The war is ending soon. D-Day will be recognized in the closing victory. When Jesus comes back and does his finishing touches, and he deals with evil, and then Revelation 21 and 22, he brings in the new creation. So what is he saying here? Get busy. Grasp the urgency of the situation. You, Romans 8 tells us, are a taste of the first fruits of the new creation because you have the Spirit of God living in you. And who the Spirit occupies and what the Spirit occupies, he transforms. Show the fullness of Christ's presence here. 8 through 10, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because there's an urgency here. Jesus is returning. This is the time to earn reward. (laughs) This is the time to be like your Savior. Show the fullness of Christ's presence by loving your neighbors like you love yourself. Remember the parables Jesus gave at the end of Matthew and the other ones? Those who are foolish and those who are wise. Those who are ready and laboring. And those who sat back and did not prepare (laughs) Remember Jesus' parable of the steward who, uh, who who were told to occupy till he comes. Or occupy isn't just a a, a a static word like just kind of take up some space till Jesus returns. The actual translation is transact his business until he comes. Be busy at the work of making disciples. Wake up, labor at loving your neighbor one author writes about his time um, here as a pastor uh, in the intensive care waiting room with other people and he says when you when you when you watch with anguished people and you listen to their urgent questions will my husband make it will my child walk again will i lose that hand how do you live he says the intensive care waiting room is different from any other place in the world. And the people who wait are different. They can't do enough for each other. No one's rude. The distinctions of race and class melt away. A person is a father first. The garbage man loves his wife as much as a university professor loves his. And everyone understands that each person is pulling for everyone else. And in the intensive care waiting room, the world changes Vanity and pretense vanish. The universe is focused on the doctor's death's report. If only it will show improvement. Everybody knows that loving someone else is what life is all about. Long before we're in the intensive care waiting room, maybe we can learn to live like that. And that's kind of what Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 13. The shortness of the time puts things in perspective. Well, what does then this point of loving our neighbor and grasping the urgency look like? I want you to flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4. I brought this to our attention a couple times and we worked through that letter to those who were living like exiles in, a, in this present age and the instructions Paul gave, or Peter gave to his churches there in Asia Minor. In 1 Peter 4, he says this in verse 7. Kind of a wake-up call again. He says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, clear-minded, and watch to prayer. And, above all things, same concept, so this is a core teaching here in the early church, wasn't it? Jesus is coming, so, Above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, self sacrificing love among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, and then verse ten and eleven, use your gifts. Use your gifts. Does that sound like Romans twelve and thirteen? Yeah, we already seen some of these things already repeated. Shortness of time puts things in perspective. This is what it lo- means to look. Uh, uh, this is what it looks like to live in light of Christ coming. The urgency here—he's going to return. So, what then, does this point of loving our neighbor and grasping the urgency look like? And thirdly, it's this: go in Christ, go out in Christ. Look at it. in Romans thirteen verse. Well, the night is far spent, the day is is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Be not overcome with evil, overcome evil with good. Let us walk honestly, properly, as in the day, in daylight. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. Now those are old words that basically mean uh, unbridled lusts. And not in strife and fighting and envying some of these you say, yo, those are really bad. And others, you're like, I do that. But, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust, the evil desires thereof. That old world, the New Testament kind of divides us into two ages, this present age that we lived in and the day of the Lord. That old world, the present age is rumbling on and most people are living their lives in accordance with its patterns. But what Paul's saying is this. You as a believer, the new creation is broken in. God's new creation has begun in you. You are a new creation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. And Jesus is returning. And shortly after that, this fulfillment is going to happen. And we look forward to it. And those who follow Jesus, whose life, death, death, and resurrection brought this D-Day here, are commanded to now to live already according to the way this new creation is. Holiness in Christ. The day has begun. Most people are still asleep. And he's saying, have no toleration for sin in your life. Because of this. Be ruthless to the sin in your heart. Be killing sin by the power of Christ and the Spirit in you. The gospel is the saving power of God from sin to God. And there should be transformation, sanctification, happening in your life by faith. He's saying, don't get comfortable here. Don't sweep your sins under the rug and ignore them. Put them to death, Romans 6, Romans 8, and live to righteousness. You're not a slave to sin in Christ. You've been set free to serve Christ. You have the very life of Christ in you. Go boldly to the throne and to find help in time of need. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Put on Jesus Christ as your saving king. He's Lord. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stories told about 13 years ago, there was a homeowner, Jerry Lynn, who was trying to figure out where he would put a hole in the wall for his TV. TV wire, not his TV, but connect this TV. And so he went up to the second floor of his house, and he took his wife's uh, wind-up alarm clock and tied it to a string through an air vent. And he thought he could listen to the alarm, which he set off to go about 10 minutes later here, and then he would know where to put the hole. That's a pretty good idea, I thought. But then the string broke, and so the clock fell. And he was still able to use it, though when the alarm went off. They could still hear where he needed to poke a hole through the wall every day of his life. (laughs) (laughs) That alarm kept going off every night at the same time for 13 years. He thought the batteries in that clock would likely die soon, but every night he and his wife would be treated for about a minute of beeping that could be heard from any room on the first floor. <laughs> he said he didn't mind the beeping, he said it's kind of cute, but recently, uh, here it says the nightly alarm became too much to bear in the clock. They finally bit the bullet and cut into the wall. But rather than throw it out, the clock still sits on their mantle, still set for seven fifty eight. I thought about that, thought, yeah, I don't know if I would have had that patience. Um, but then I thought, what kind of things in my life have I just learned to just deal
0: with?
1: To ignore or sweep under the rug. And I asked you this morning, what can we together ask God to transform? As we move away from conforming to the patterns and thinkings of this world. I'm going to close with this. Augustine was a theologian who grew up very influential in um, Christianity. grew up in Carthage, North Africa, around 8400. His mother was a believer, his father was not. He rejected the witness of his mother to Christ, and he lived to taste every sin, and special, especially sexual pleasure, outside marriage. But it seemed the more that he tasted of those sins, the more it was like drinking ocean water. It didn't quench his thirst. It just made him more thirsty and more parched here. And there came a point in his life where he began seeking out truth from Scripture. And he'd gone to Rome, left Carthage, and fled to Rome to kind of do what he wanted in the big city. He'd been listening to the preaching of Bishop Ambrose in Rome, and he came under great conviction of sin. And he tells a story in his, in his book, uh, Confessions. So was I speaking and weeping in the most bitter contrition of my heart, when, lo, I heard from a neighboring house a voice, a boy or a girl's voice, chanting and saying, take up and read, take up and read. Instantly, my countenance altered. I arose, and I opened the New Testament and read the first chapter I should find. Literally, just opened his Bible and just put his eyes on the passage. And you know what text it was? It was this text here: Romans chapter thirteen. I seized, opened, and in silence read that section on which my eyes first fell. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and ending, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh. Instantly, at the end of the sentence, by a light infused into my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. Holy Spirit took a kid's voice playing a few houses down here. Take up and read. Urges him, pick up his scriptures, his mom's truth came back to him. He reads it here and the Holy Spirit. Uses that to bring him to Christ and change his life forever. And he tells a story that not, not long after he was walking through the city. And one of his former mistresses saw him across the street. And she called out to him, Augustine,
0: Augustine.
1: And he kept walking. And she said, Augustine, it is I, Claudia. And turned to her and said, But it is no longer I. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the luster. As we get the point, and as we grasp the urgency, and as we go in Christ, may him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. But now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone lies be glory through Jesus
0: Christ forever.